So here we are at verse eight tonight. This is where we're gonna start this evening. I wanna make sure I reiterate that the attributes of God, like just one attribute of God, just how he is merciful, we could take the rest of our lives to just study his mercy and you wouldn't even begin to exhaust its beauty or the wisdom in it. Do you understand that literally every attribute of God is an, inexhaust an inexhaustible well of wisdom? Do you understand that? Like there, if, if the Lord's putting like a, an attribute of God, mercy, mercy, grace, love, patience, if, if you just sense it in your heart, I challenge you, begin to find all the scriptures on that and begin to meditate on it, begin to pray them over your life, begin to ask the Holy Spirit to help mature you in them. That is God trying to mature you by illuminating an aspect of who he is to get you to grow more into who he is because the reason Jesus shares these beatitudes with us is because he is trying to tell us that this is who I am. This is my character and I'm about to teach you disciples. I just picked you in the previous chapter we found. He just picked his 12 disciples. He has a whole crowd and he's beginning to tell them how they are to reveal and manifest his character. I want this body to know these, beati these beatitudes like the back of their hand. That we ask the Holy Spirit to mature us in these. Amen. So I, I wrote this earlier. Let me give you this quote and then we'll hit verse 8. To experience the character and nature of God is the apex of existence. I want to say that again slowly. You got to, you got to get this. You see, some of you are more excited to experience what heaven's going to be like than understanding you're going to meet the one who created it. Some of you are even more excited to meet lost loved ones that you haven't seen than you are to experience his character and nature. I want you to know that to experience his character and nature is the apex of existence. It's the apex of eternity. I would even dare to say that eternity is a gift to explore what is unsearchable in him. That gift, that eternity is actually a gift for us to explore him, to, to, to constantly be in awe of him. Do you know every day, we are going to see him. We are going to be in all of him that when somebody taps us on the shoulder, we're going to say, can you wait another eternity? Because we're not going to want to, to move to the left or to the right. What is our whole life a struggle with? Making sure we keep our eyes straight. Once you see him in his glory, you will, you will yell at your neck. Why did you ever turn? He's so beautiful. And this is what we're doing tonight is we're actually getting in the scriptures to get the blurriness and the fog off your heart from this week and from lies. The enemy has tried to creep in your, in your mind that actually hinder you from seeing his beauty. Because his beauty disciples you into a disciplined life. His beauty disciples us. My wife, her beauty disciples me into being a husband. That's a real example. You know, her beauty, who she is, not just her outward appearance, who she is, calls me to consecrate my life as a husband unto her. What is Jesus's beauty consecrating your life unto? Is his beauty worth you saying no to more things? Is his beauty causing you to, to realize, I need to turn my back on way more things in this world? If not, I dare to say you haven't seen him yet or you haven't seen him rightly. And I say that from the most humblest place because I know I have way more to see. But what I've seen thus far has challenged everything about my life. 
I, I, I can't even imagine going back to things. Early on in my walk with the Lord, when I tried to do missionary, <laughs> missionary to my friends, like I, 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 I don't know why I'm going down this path. I remember I got saved, like on fire for the Lord down in Florida. And I had, our, I had been, I'd known the Lord for just a little bit. When I came to Florida, I got hit with the fire of God. Like it was different. I was excited. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to go back up to Maryland where I was from. And I'm going to tell all my friends about Jesus. And they were all my friends I, I snorted Coke with and did drugs with. And you know what? I went back up there and I'm like, I'm going to tell them all about Jesus. Monday, it was a good day. You know, I, I shared about Jesus. Tuesday, another good day, meeting with some of my friends. Wednesday, starting to smell that reefer a lot, starting to get real near all the cocaine, getting near all the old things, talking about old times. By the end of the week, I was doing drugs. And it was because I hadn't seen his beauty in such a way. And I got cocky about where I was in my walk and I didn't realize I needed to say no to more things to get discipled before I just thought that I could do these things. That's, is that wisdom for people? Okay. You got to watch who you hang out with now. If you're, if you're new to the Lord and you're thinking, I'm going to minister all my friends, you better make sure you have some really good friends in the body of Christ before you just do missionary stuff. You got to get strong. Is that a word? I want people to make sure they're here. And now, like I, all people that I know from my past, they're constantly writing to me on social media. They'll see the sermons and things, and they'll be like, I, I haven't shared this in a while, but what, my youth pastor actually reached out to me, and he had fallen away from the Lord. And he reached out to me later in life. He saw a sermon I preached, and he said, I thought out of all the kids in the youth group <laughs> that you would have never been the one that made it. That was what his message said to me. <laughs> and he said, I watched your sermon tonight and I gave my life back to the Lord. Isn't that awesome? But this is time and time of being captured by his beauty, being refined moment after moment. It's not just a one and done at the altar. There's so many people who are like, I'm having a bad day. I need somebody to pray with me at the altar, but they don't live in the mundane with Jesus at home when, they're, when they have to do their jobs and things. They're always looking for somebody else to lay hands on them instead of realizing that the Holy Spirit's hands upon their life, living on the inside of them, waiting for intimate communion with them. The church needs to rise up and realize who she is. Okay. So blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I don't know about you, but that verse makes me, like, I love that verse. What a promise. Blessed are the pure in heart. The purer your heart is, the clearer you see him. Do you know what that makes me realize? You, you see, there, when it comes to purity, Purity is not popular in our society, is it? Can I get a witness? Purity is not popular in society. In fact, check what's under the hood before you marry somebody. This is the type of language that goes out or, you know, I, I just need to let off some steam. I'm going to the strip club or, or, or all the, like, purity. And you can't even watch YouTube. You can't even watch purity. things without... You're, you're not contending for purity from a legalist standpoint. It's because you realize that purity allows you to see something. So you don't contend for purity from a legalist standpoint. You contend for it from protecting love. It's, it's totally different. You see, when I, when I first got my license when I was younger, when I started driving, Anybody remember when they first got their license or whatever? So you, you start driving and you hear that there's a speed limit. Well, the only reason you're like, well, you know, I, I won't go down those paths right now, but I'm just saying that like, <laughs> when the reason that I would endeavor to obey the law was because I knew it was wrong, right? So I, or I had to keep the law. But you know what changed in my life is when my wife and children were in the car later, I realized, oh, I have cargo. 
in this car and that these laws are put in place to keep people safe. And I see the value of what's in my vehicle now. All of a sudden, I'm going to contend for something that I may have before only did just out of a legalist standpoint, but now I do it for love. Do you see the difference? That once you see the value of what purity gets you, you'll get every impurity out of your life. You'll see something on TV and you say, that's gotta go. Soon as, soon as you realize, has anybody ever even seen something, an image, and you didn't think anything of it, and then later it comes back up in your head? That's the enemy putting something back before you to get you to bow to his image. And you gotta cast it down, and then you can't just cast that down, you gotta identify the root and get it out. You gotta make sure you, 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 you gotta contend for purity. Do you hear me tonight? This is, this is so important that there are even, there's people in this room, and we talk about it at every men's group, there's men that are dealing with porn addiction in the church, it's all over. There's pastors dealing, there's ministers dealing with porn addiction. And it's because there, there's, there's a lack of understanding for how important it is to remain pure, but God gives you the power to overcome. He's not saying do it on your own strength. He's saying, I've given you the Holy Spirit. I've given, what? Holy Spirit, holy, set apart, not set apart to, to play with the world, set apart to be a light to the world, which we're about to get to in these Beatitudes. You see, being a light to the world, you're not called to be a Christian and hide from the world. That's not a witness. You're supposed to shine and be unmoved by the impurities. Do you hear me tonight? We need strong men that fight for purity in their households. We need strong moms and women that fight for purity. We need the single women in this church to fight for purity. We need single men in this church to fight for purity. I'm telling you, this is a big deal to God. This preaching doesn't even go anymore sometimes because it's just letting this happen. Sex is a huge deal to God. He made it. And the enemy wants to pervert it and pervert it and pervert it. It is so sacred. Do not play around with what God has called holy. Amen? Now, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I, I, there's one story that hits me so hard about the purity of God. And has anybody ever heard of Zacchaeus before? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. I, see, I didn't even grow up in church, so you can do whatever you want with that. But I don't even know the song, but I just remember the wee little man. Um, and it's probably just because I watched Jack Butt, and I remember wee man or whatever. But, it's like, uh, but I'm just talking about wee little man. So Zacchaeus, you know his name literally means pure. Zacchaeus, his name means pure. Could you turn with me very quickly to Luke 19? Because I just want to give you something about purity that I really just sense in my heart to help us all with. Everybody say it again. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, verse 1 of chapter 19, it says, Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Pause. If he was rich, and it actually says he was rich, this means that he was taking advantage of a lot of people. Because people didn't like tax collectors because they were constantly trying to get more than they, they were supposed to. But the fact that he was rich means that he was really pocketing a lot. So what does that mean? He's not a very good person based off what we're hearing. But the the gospel, Luke is setting us up to understand who Zacchaeus is, but his name means pure, so he's actually an illustrative sermon for us here. So 
and he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. Now just think about this, that Zacchaeus, everybody say, holy curiosity. Did you know that that's what literally brought us all into the kingdom, is that we heard something about Jesus. We heard somebody tell something about who he was and it caused a holy curiosity. And it caused us to come a little closer that even though he was a sinful man, he had heard about Jesus and he heard that he was coming and he wanted to what? See him. Is there anybody in this, this room that could testify before you knew the Lord, there was something in you saying, I just wanna see God, I wanna know if he's real. Like just being honest, there's something. And I remember, that was my biggest prayer. God, if you're real, reveal it to me. Like I was just like, that was my prayer. That was my Gentile prayer. Lord, if you're real, reveal it to me. And what is so powerful is what does he do? What does pure do? He begins to climb a tree to try to find. And you know, the Lord was ministering to me about this today, but did you know that tree? Somebody had to plant that tree a long time ago. Somebody had to, had to cultivate that tree, that God caused rain to come on that tree, so that tree could grow to a place where one day a man could climb it and see Jesus. How many people are thankful that people prayed for you and that God set the stage that when you were ready to come, that somebody built something that you could climb up and begin to see him for yourself? I don't know about you, but that's what I want to do for my children for the next generation. I want to build something that they can see Jesus in a way that I wasn't even able to in my lifetime. That's what we want to endeavor to do. And when I see this story, this is what pure does, is pure just takes the little bit it knows about God, and it takes a step forward. It starts climbing. It starts doing it. It doesn't know. Zacchaeus didn't even know what he was doing. He's just like, I want to see him. Has anybody been in their walk with the Lord and they're like, I just don't know what's next, but I just got to see him. I don't know what's going on in my life tonight, but I just got to see him. I don't know what to do with my job right now, but I need to see him. And you just start climbing that tree. You just start doing what a couple of people have told you to do that are respectable, that love the Lord. And you begin to, your, this pure motive of saying, I don't want to be seen. I want to see him. He wasn't climbing a tree so he could tell everybody how cool he was. He was climbing a tree to see how beautiful he was. This, this is purity. And it goes on to say that, and when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. Do you know, Zacchaeus had to flip out. He's never met Jesus before. But you see, Jesus calls your name, even though you never knew him before in your own mind. He knows your name. He's... Zacchaeus is in a tree just looking for this guy everybody talks about, and he walks and says, Zacchaeus, like, you talk, I was hoping, you, you know, I had to scare him in a sense, like frighten him. Whoa, he knows my name. But you know what's so powerful about that is when your motives are pure, God will speak intimately to you. He'll, there's something about purity that builds the most intimate relationship. There's a history with purity that you can't get from anywhere else. It's just like, could you, has anybody, I'm from up north, but have you ever just seen snow on a hill? And the kids haven't messed it up with sleigh riding yet. That was me, oh man, oh man. We would destroy <laughs> mudslide and everything, but, but, when you just see snow and nobody's even taking a step on it, it's so beautiful. It's just waiting for a journey. It's just waiting 
for that. And I, I just really want to tell you tonight, when I read this story, verse 6, it says, So he made haste and came down, received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said, and today salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. <laughs> I love the Gospels. I can't wait to meet Zacchaeus. I'll give him a high five down here, right? No, it's <laughs> <laughs> but, but, all jokes aside, but what is so precious about this is with Zacchaeus we find, did Jesus, do we find anything in the scripture that said that when Jesus came to his house, Jesus is like, all right, Zacchaeus, it's time to pay the piper. It's time for you to get rid of everything. It's time you've been living like a sinner. Pay we don't find any of that. But we know what we find is that when Jesus came to his house, Zacchaeus wanted to get rid of things that caused any infringement of seeing him more clearly. That Jesus' beauty and his welcoming and his generosity caused him to shed the things of this world without being asked to. It was a joyful offering. There's people in this room that people have been even trying to tell you, you gotta stop that, you gotta stop. I, I wanna ask you, would Jesus have to ask you to do that? Or would one look at him, make you drop it all? Zacchaeus is showing us that the pure in heart shall see their God. How many people wanna see him more clearly? I want to get the fog off the eyes of my heart. Sanctify us again, Lord. Show us how beautiful. And I just wanted to throw, uh, this is a quote the Lord gave me a while back, but it, it's, it's really simple. When you pursue his heart, he will perfect your heart. When you pursue his heart, he will perfect your heart. That is what's so beautiful. So, so many of us are trying to, how do I do this, how do I do this? And I'm telling you, if you get your eyes on the perfect one, he will perfect the imperfections. He is so good at what he does. <laughs> I don't know, like, can anybody testify that God, man, how many people were a mess? How many people feel like a mess sometimes? And he will take all of that and he will turn you into a masterpiece. In fact, don't try to even clean any of it up. Come to him and let him do that work because whatever you do apart from him is nothing. Why would you ever hide your mess from the only one that can put you back together? So back to Matthew 5. This is why it's gonna take a little while, but you know. Are you thankful though that we don't just gloss over scripture, but we get it? And a few verses on purity. Psalm 119.9, the psalmist said, how can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed to what? Your word. So if there's people in this place that are struggling with purity, start with the word of God. Every day, ask the person of the Holy Spirit to illuminate the word to your heart. Oh, am I the only one that when I get alone with the word of God, that I can sense him just as much as I do in some of the most powerful moments of jumping up and down with worship? Just sitting, as we sang one of the last songs that Carrie Job wrote that, I wanna sit at your feet and drink from the cup in your hand. Lay back against you and breathe and feel your heartbeat. Like this is so important. Proverbs 38, every word of God is pure. <laughs> he is a shield to those who put their trust in him. John 15, three, 
you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. He said this to his disciples. And what is the job of husbands in this place? Ephesians 5, 25 through 26, husbands love your wife just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify her and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. Can I challenge you, if you're a husband in this place and you don't read the word of God with your wife, we just read a scripture that you could take that invitation and see what God has for you. See what God has for you. Is there married couples that study the word together in this room? Do you believe that that's, could you say that that's amazing? Isn't it so important? Sometimes even in marriages, we can sometimes get caught in our own little thing because of the busyness of life. I encourage you, God puts you together because you can reveal his secrets to one another in ways that nobody else can. I'm thankful for my wife. And then we have, uh, blessed are the peacemakers. Are you ready for this? We're, we just, a few more moments. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. I want to just emphasize one major point before I give you a few scriptures on the peace. This is the first time in the Beatitudes that we find that Jesus actually refers to a relationship. Everything has been, theirs is the kingdom of heaven, or if you appropriate mercy, you'll find mercy. We've been finding like cause and effect. This is the first time he says, you will be called what? Sons of God. That should, that should perk our attention that God is saying that there's something very peculiar about peace. Something very important about peace. When I have to give biblical counsel to anyone, my top priority is to get them get their gauge of peace in their heart. Where are they at? That is the, that's what I'm honing in on when I have to give biblical counsel to someone. Where's your peace at? Because that is, that, that is the compass of your heart. That, that, that is going to get you to where you need to go. That the peace that surpasses all understanding is what? It guards your heart and mind. So if you don't have peace, your heart and mind are unguarded. Peace is important. It is so vital, but it's telling us here that blessed are the peacemakers, for theirs is the kingdom, or for, for they are the, shall be called the sons of God. Now, Sisley, you actually brought this question up to me recently, and I, when I was going over the scripture, I wanted to bring this up to everyone, because this is a beautiful question. A lot of people can ask, or is everybody a child of God? The answer to that is no, plainly. I don't know if you've heard that before or not, but it's important that you see that when, we, when somebody says, is everybody a child of God, a lot of people wanna kinda use that as a universal language. That is not true according to scripture. I wanna give you just two verses to show that, because we're talking about they shall be called the sons of God. Well, John 1.12 says this, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Do you see that? It says, once again, but as many as received Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Is that very clear? Does that mean if you don't believe in his name, is there a disqualifier? Yes, there is. And that's not even it because in Galatians 3.26, it says, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. So we are not all sons of God. We are not all children of God. I just gave you two scriptures that show you the importance of that biblically and doctrinally. Do you see this? It's important. Now, when it comes to peace being, this is something that us being peacemakers actually shows a visible evidence of our relationship with God. That you being a peacemaker is actually a proof that you are a child of God. Did you see this? So what would that mean if you want to show the world how amazing your father is? Did you know one of the greatest ways to make peace? Preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. Preach the prince of peace himself. Reveal Jesus. That is the first way to bring peace. But I want to give you a few scriptures if you're taking notes. Proverbs 12:20. Deceit fills hearts that are plotting evil. Joy fills hearts that are planning peace. Isn't that beautiful? Psalm 119, 165, great peace have those who love your law and nothing causes them to stumble. 
So where's the great peace found at? Once again, in the word of God, Hebrews 12, 14, pursue peace with all people, all men. Pursue peace with who? All people. Now that is difficult. Am I the only one? Is that difficult? To pursue peace with all people. But what does it say? Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. This is actually saying you pursuing peace and bring about holiness is the way that the Lord will be seen. So when you are not pursuing peace, when you are not making peace, you are actually working, employing, you're being employed by the enemy to release his agenda. This is what is taking place. I'm showing you. Now, if you, John 14, 27, Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. How many people want the peace Jesus was packing? <laughs> yeah, I said that. The peace that Jesus was packing. This, this is important. We're talking about a peace that is completely unmoved by the most treacherous storms. A peace. We, we often say you can only sleep through a storm that, that you, you can only sleep through a storm that you know that you have authority over. But the more you're screaming at it shows that you don't have the authority. <laughs> I'm just being real. Jesus didn't scream. He said, peace. He said, peace be still. He spoke to the wind, which represented the spiritual realm. He rebuked it. But then he spoke peace to the creation, which was the waves. It's, it's important that we see that there's a spiritual realm we don't see. Because what is the spirit? The spirit is like the wind. The Holy Spirit will, will demolish and squash all the works of the enemy. But we have to yield to that current. Now, he says, not as the world gives. Doesn't the world give a false peace with everything? They try to, whether, whatever it is, whatever the experts, whatever different things, people try to give you false peace. But it's important that you understand that our peace comes from the Lord. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Now, going to some of our final points here. Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Do you see, th this passage of scripture is so precious because Jesus started this out by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the peacemaker. Like he's going through all these things, but now he's saying, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. I don't know about you, but does anybody like when people say mean things about you? Does anybody get like, man, this is amazing. Does anybody like being treated? Does anybody like when people speak falsely against you? But watch, Jesus is saying, blessed, blessed, extremely happy you should be when the world mocks you for standing up for me because they're not mocking you, they're mocking me. But when you stand there and you let them do that, you're showing them my kindness and my mercy and you're showing them my character and my nature. Blessed are you. Blessed. Did you know when the apostles, we've been going through the book of Acts as a church, right? And you know when, the, when Peter and John, they were beat for the gospel, and then they're put in prison. In Acts, in Acts 4 5, they're put in prison. And when they're put in prison, the angels come and deliver them out of the prison. And you know what the angel tells them to do? Go back into the same place that got you in jail and preach the same message. 
And you know what they did? They went back and they preached the same message. But guess what happened? All the rulers, the Sanhedrin, they grab them and they say, we're going to threaten them and we're going to tell them this. And they beat them with rods and all these things. But they decide to let them go because of some wise counsel that came in from Gamaliel. And they, they let them go. But then what happens is it says that as they were beaten, it says they ran back rejoicing, saying we were counted worthy to suffer for him. Where does that get produced? Where does that come from? If somebody says something about your Christian belief on Facebook, some of you lose it completely. <laughs> Hopefully that's not you. But there are Christians that can't even handle somebody persecuting them on social media, nonetheless being beaten and running and saying, we were counted worthy. You know what I, you know why they, they thought that way? Because they heard the first sermon and they said, we're extremely happy because everything he says is true. Every word of God is pure and they counted it worthy, but that, that's not it here because in 2 Timothy 3.12, it says, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Do you desire to live godly? You signed up. <laughs> Congratulations. Get ready to get persecuted. And, and am I trying to say that in America, we don't really know what persecution is. So you really need to learn. You really need to start understanding because when things do get tougher, or say you go on a mission strip, or say you're at a place, you need to learn. And, and, and let, me, let me do this real quick. I, I, I wanna share this from something I was reading. If you're like, if you desire to live for righteousness, can I just read a few things that you have to be prepared for to be persecuted on? If you cherish moral purity, your life will be an attack on people's love for unbridled sex. You will be persecuted for that. If you embrace temperance, your life will be a statement against the love of alcohol. If you pursue self-control, your life will indict excess eating, excess eating, gluttony. I know some things we don't talk about, but th this, is, this is important that we see. If you live simply and happily, you will show the folly of luxury. If you walk humbly with your God, you will expose the evil of pride. If you are punctual and thorough in your dealings, you will lay open the inferiority of laziness and negligence. Did you know laziness is an insult to God? It's not righteousness. Procrastination is of the devil as well. Those that are experts in procrastination are masterful excuse artists. If you, are, if you speak with compassion, you will throw callousness into sharp relief. If you are earnest, you will make the flippant look flippant instead of clever. And if you are spiritually minded, you will expose the worldly mindedness of those around you. Do you understand that persecution is waiting? That the things that we even stand on morally as a body, whether we stand for no abortion or things like that, you will be persecuted for the stances you take. And you don't have to apologize for it. You show sympathy and compassion to people that are blinded, but you don't ever tolerate unrighteousness. This, but, th this is, but this is what actually causes you to be persecuted is when you decide to stand for righteousness, when you decide to stand for these things. And the church, you gotta make sure that you never allow compassion and sympathy to become tolerance for evil. You can't slip because it, we have to make a stand because of what the next scriptures tell us. And I, I wanna just make sure I read these statements to you that what did Jesus even say in John 15? He said to us that the world 
hated me, they will what? Hate you also. Read John 15, and he breaks it down, telling us. But in Acts 14, once again, we went through this as a church, and, and we're, we're almost done. You guys good? I just want to make sure that one of the things that took place is when Paul was preaching in Iconium, we've been bringing this up, but in Acts 14, he was literally stoned to death for preaching the gospel. He was, he was preaching the gospel, and he was stoned to death, and people came around him, laid hands on him. He got back up, and he went back into the same city, and he preached again. And you know what it says in the following verses? It says that he went about strengthening the church while he had pelts all over his face. That he was persecuted. What did Jesus do after he rose from the grave? He showed his wounds and it strengthened people. That there's something about persecution. How many people are thankful for the apostles that laid their lives down for the gospel? That it's the, it, says in, it says in the book of Revelation how precious the blood of martyrs is to the Father. Did you know that Abel's blood, all the way back in Genesis 4, cries out, how much more does the blood of martyrs, we know the blood of Jesus cries out a beautiful thing, but the blood of martyrs cries out. And speaking of Abel, he stood for righteousness with his offering, and we've seen that whoever stands for righteousness will be the spirit of murder is against righteousness. The spirit of murder that the devil hates righteousness so much. And the thing is, is when the, when the enemy's not really moved by the church, it just goes to show we've lost our thermometer of righteousness and holiness. The enemy is not moved by an unholy, profane church. In fact, it's his puppet, a church that contends for righteousness and holiness and doesn't allow even gossip in its midst. Amen. Not even white lies. What, what does that even mean? It's Once again, it's just people trying to get around the holiness of God. And once again, this isn't legalism because why? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So don't talk to me about legalism. I'm not about legalism. I'm about, I want to see him more clearly. So any impurity has got to go. Not because I'm a stuck up man of God or whatever. No, I, I, I refute that. I'm not stuck up. I'm stuck to him. <laughs> and I don't want, and you know, the thing is, is abstaining from evil is only doable if I'm abiding in him. Abstaining from evil without abiding is legalism right? If I'm abstaining, like, oh, I'm not doing that. That's not Christian. You know that? Like, no wonder. No wonder nobody wants to hear what Jesus has to say. You know what I'm saying? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a righteousness and a purity that when you walk in a room, people can sense that you love them and that you're not there judging them but you're weeping for their blindness and that you're willing to talk with them and let them know your story and how he changed it and that you were once blind, but now you see. Do you hear what I'm saying? This is what will change, and this brings us to our, our final part of this evening. Worship team, you can come. Verse 12 again, when it says, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Can you imagine every time you're persecuted in this life that when you get to heaven that God has a reward for you? I haven't told this story in a while, but you know, there was one time I was, I was ministering. And there's, has anybody been persecuted before? So this is a real thing. It might even, you know who you actually get persecuted by the most? Your family. Right? Jesus wasn't welcome in his hometown, right? Persecution. But I remember there was one time I was preaching out in a parking lot, and I walked up on a, uh, I walked up on what I didn't realize was a homosexual couple. 
It was two guys, and I, I was a young buck in the Lord, and I started telling them about the love of Jesus. And you know what they both did? They both spit in my face right in a parking lot. And I remember I just looked at them, and I just, I just said, it doesn't change that God loves you. And I walked away. Not saying that there could have been more there, but what if I reacted in a way, something so simple? Do, did, I, did I deserve to be spit in the face? No. But did Jesus deserve to be put on a cross? And if that one moment is a moment of mercy, that when they're in their blinded life, the Holy Spirit breathes upon a comment or breathes upon something in their life, they'll remember somebody with spit dripping down their face telling them, God loves you. This is the type of believers that we need. And this is, and what, what it actually says here, and we're gonna get to this Sermon on the Mount because he goes through this in detail and we're gonna talk about a lot next week. But I didn't wanna get into the next part of this because it's like Pandora's box, it's so much. But I wanna read these again. We hit it last week, but in closing it says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You know, the salt has, in the ancient world, it had five specific usages outside of actually even being a currency. Did you know salt was so valuable in the ancient world that it was literally used as money? It was used as that's how valuable it was. But there's five things I want to bring to you about salt very quickly. Is one of the number one things about salt is it's, it actually purifies. It's a, pur it's a purifier, which goes with our context, right? Preservation. It preserves. That's one of the biggest things. What did I just share? That testimony about being persecuted. Did you know that that was me preserving? a platform for the gospel that was me seasoning that encounter with the salt of grace seasoning could i ask you when you when you when you walk around when you go places are you are you releasing salt in your conversations are you focused on how you can reveal the character of christ Flavor is another thing. Has anybody ever eaten something you were really excited to eat and you couldn't taste it? Am I, that, that's like, that's, that's annoying. Might as well just be eating air. What do we want? Flavor. God knows that. That's why he said, taste and see that I am good. Where's the seasoning? Where's the flavor? Salt actually heals. It's a healing molecule. And one of my favorites is salt creates thirst. These pretzels are making me very thirsty. <laughs> one of the things about that that's important is if you truly are seasoning your testimony and the way you live before God, you'll make others more thirsty for him. That's seasoning things with the salt. But then it doesn't just stop there. It talks about the light of the world. And just so you know, salt and light, the one thing they have in common is they both are a preserver of life. They're both a sustainer of life. And light, this is the final point tonight, and then we'll, we'll close. Is it, it says here again, you are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill that cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. This is what I want to say. This is it right here. When God created the earth, what did he do? He said, let there what? 
be like when he wanted to start the whole thing out he said the way i'm going to reveal myself the way i'm going to reveal my kingdom upon the earth is with light when jesus preaches his first sermon what he does is he says this is who i am blessed are the poor in spirit blessed are those who mourn blessed are those that are merciful for they shall obtain mercy blessed are the peacemakers blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness like he's revealing his character and then he says let your light so shine before men so what he's trying to say that the way that i'm going to restore and the way i'm going to reveal my kingdom is the way that you allow my character and nature that my image through you that you living that that you're going to be the one the light of the world that is going to reveal my beauty to all of creation he's actually through the sermon on the mount he's taking us all the way back to his original design saying when he said let there be light he's now saying let there be my bride and let her reveal the bridegroom who's going to break the sky open and that light will be forevermore and we won't need a sun or a moon this is what god is calling us into tonight this is the prophetic thing that god wants you tonight to hear this beatitudes maybe you're in this place and you say you know what there are impurities in my life i hear tonight and that those those impurities i want i want the fog off the eyes of my heart i want to see clearly tonight i want to see who he is say that peace has not been a common theme that you pursue in your life and that there's tension with you and your family members and that there's all these different things maybe you're just constantly strugg struggling with looking for demons all the time and things like that instead of keeping your eyes on jesus maybe there's things going on in your life that are causing you to not be able to reflect that light if that's you i don't want you to leave this place just saying that was a good message i'll try to work on that no if this is pulling on your heart could you be like peter and say lord if that's you tell me to come if that's you tell me to come and i'll walk across what seems impossible and i'll come to you and you will sustain my every step and if i fall and i know who you are you will pull me up that's how good he is.